from Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them? So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. Please be seated. I um I always do this and I just apologize but I just can't you just picture sitting next to Beth and having her say tell us a story Beth right tell us a story and for some reason I can't I can't put my finger on it when she speaks the story uh, it just comes alive to me Jesus was so good at that and Beth in that regard you were like your savior Jesus loved stories and oftentimes, rather, when an issue came up that needed addressing, when, when something came up where people needed understanding, he, he gave them understanding not through some proposition, but, but through a story. And, and of course, the, as we saw in the parable of the sower, was the danger is that we wouldn't, we wouldn't get it, right? In, in, in this case... Um, the, the religious people of Jesus' day were getting very concerned. You see, Jesus just kept hanging out with all the wrong people, right? And, and with apologies to my wife, who was a tax collector, um, he, he called them tax collectors and sinners. That's why we're such a good pair. She's the tax collector and I'm the sinner, right? And, and, um, and, and Jesus was, was asked by the religious types, by the people who supposedly had this relationship with God, um, why do you spend so much time with tax collectors and sinners? And now I would have come up with some pretty choice words right then, but Jesus loving them, loving the very people who were neglecting or excluding other people Jesus told them this amazing story. And I kind of picture just like when Beth was telling it, people would just gather around. And, and, and certain parts of the story, they go, I knew that. I knew that. I saw that coming, right? Have you ever done that when you're watching a movie or reading a story? You say, I know what's going to happen before it happens, right? And, and it's almost like Jesus would set them up. He would do three, I know what's going to happen this way. And then, bam, he would change the script. He would change the story and zing them. Right where they, that's a, that's a Greek word, zingum. Right where they were, 
right? And so, so um, I want to I want to ask you to open your heart to the story again. It's very familiar, and it'll get more familiar next week as we pick up the third part of this amazing story. But I want to ask you to open your heart to Jesus today and let his words be like like they're hitting you for the first time. Pray with me, would you? God, I pray that I would not mess this up. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, would be this acceptable offering in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Oh my goodness, what an amazing week. Last couple weeks have this been. Have you been caught up in it? I'm not talking about the World Cup, though I did get a little caught up in that too. I don't even like soccer. But, but, but I'm talking about Thailand. Did you find yourself glued to that? Did you find yourself getting sucked into that story? Wow, wow. If you have been away for a while and don't know what I'm talking about, there was, how many were there? Uh, 12 children or 12 kids and, and a, a relatively young assistant coach who went into a cave in Thailand, right? Um, which <laughs> They lost me right there. I'm just not sure what they were thinking. But went into this cave, got pretty deep in the cave, and then the rains came. The monsoons began to come. And all these places that they'd gone up and down filled with water. And, and, and they couldn't get out. They couldn't get out. And, and I don't know the whole story, but kudos to that young assistant coach who kept getting them to safety, but safety ended up being, I'm not sure how far that was, two or three kilometers deep, right? Two or three kilometers deep in this cave with all kinds of hazards between them and getting out. And nine days, nine days, nobody knew whether they were alive or dead. Do you remember those nine days? I can feel it. I'm finding myself getting animated here. I'm thinking, oh, I don't even want to think about this. This is not going to turn out good. This is not going to turn out good. And, and then I think it was two British divers had gotten three kilometers. And you've got to believe that they thought, there's no way in the world they're back here. We're putting our own lives at risk going after these guys. There's no way they could be this deep. And they come up out of the water and, and there are all 13 of them. Do you remember the first thing that he said? How many are you? Right? And they said, we're 13. He goes, yes. Yes. I watched that little video that happened right there. And can you imagine when he had to leave? Again, it wasn't very long because he had to go tell somebody, right? He had to go get this thing in motion. He had to say, I'm sorry, I have to... What? You're kidding. I have to leave you for a moment. But, But how did he put it? There will be many of us, he said. There will be many of us who come. And we all sat on the edge of our seats for, what, a week and a half as as they um, figured out a way to do this. And, and it was like a movie or something, right? Except for that, that the reality was so frightening. It was like a movie that the monsoons are coming. And they're due right now. We can see them on the screen, right? They're coming. The rains are coming, and it's going to make it that much tougher to get them out. You might have to stay here till October. And we all said, What? And, and, and if you were able to do it, and, and I always ask you to find yourself in the story, right? But if you were able to do it, if you were a parent, likely you found yourself in the place of one of those parents, right? And, and, and you found yourself saying, are you kidding me? After, after nine days of not knowing, now you're saying that we might have to wait. Now you're saying that, that the rains might keep them from being rescued. 
And then the bad news came that one of the divers, one of the divers was killed uh, navigating back and forth between them and, and, and our hearts just were in our throats. And we longed for that news that all of them would get out safe, right? I, I don't know about you, but I was praying like the Dickens. It's not odd, but you know what I mean. Um, and God answered, did you, see, did you see the weather charts? The monsoons were all around that, that place where they were and just a little bit of rain where they were. I understand. I didn't, I didn't see this, so I'm, I'm going on other people's word right here. But that the day after they got them all out, it hit hard and flooded the place. It's like God intervened. And God found what, what should never have been found. God, God found the lost and brought them home. Can you imagine I, I was thinking, you didn't go to the moon. Why do you have to quarantine them after this? But they'd been like 15 days drinking water out of a cave. Um, so they were quarantined. But can you imagine the celebration when they finally were able to be back with their loved ones? I, I can because I was celebrating thousands of miles away. There's something hardwired in us that understands when that which is lost is found. And I think that's why Jesus, in his amazing wisdom, told just such a story to the very ones who wanted to exclude other people. Um, he told a story of being found. He actually told three of them. And, and today we heard two of them. Do you remember? There was, there was the shepherd who had 100 sheep. And immediately we think, well, that must have been a pretty wealthy shepherd. But we don't realize that in those communal settings, oftentimes uh, a shepherd would watch the sheep of other people in the community as well. Right. And, and so very likely those the sheep in the story who was a story they would be very familiar with. They were watching several people's sheep and one of them was lost. Right. And several things happen when one of them's lost. Do you think, oh, my gosh, what is everybody else going to think if I lose one of these sheep? We're not talking about losing a, a book or, or losing a purse or something. We're talking about uh, losing a significant representation of somebody out there's possessions. And, and, and Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees and the religious people, says, Who of you would not leave the 99 and go after the one? Right? Now, when he does, that creates all kinds of problems because now not only is there a sheep lost, but there's also a shepherd out there by himself, vulnerable to the elements himself, vulnerable to the wild animals that he was trying to protect the sheep from. And the implication is, depending on whether there were other shepherds as well, that there are 99 sheep back there by themselves, too. It's just an amazing story, right? And, and the story has a good ending. It's so beautiful. Some of the people in our Sunday school class parsed this out this morning. It was, it was, it was awesome. The shepherd found the sheep, but, but the sheep doesn't just automatically go, woo, I'm found, let's go home, right? Um, the sheep is a lot like my dog, Lily, right? Lily is scared to death of thunder. We had one, I thought maybe it hit the church, we had one hit right on us. It's scared us half to death, and Lily just about, if she'd had pants on, she would have wet them, right? Um, it, it just absolutely made her crazy. And, and so 
so um, we, um, we, all the other dogs are fine. We leave them alone. If we leave Lily alone, she'll eat our water heater. Long story. She's done it twice. She'll do it again. And so whenever that second storm came through, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I think it was, Karen does the, your turn, go get Lily out of there before she eats our water here. And I said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. One more lightning strike before I go down there. And, and, and just like seconds later, boom, another lightning strike, right? So I pad down my underwear down the stairs to the laundry room, and Lily's nowhere to be found, right? And then I hear this rustling back by the water heater. And she has got herself in there. Again, this time she's upside down. And so as I call her, she knows I'm coming to get her. I do this every time it storms. But, but she couldn't wait for me, that one last thunder strike. And she's in there head first. And she finally backs her way out of this thing and comes running up. I guess where I was going with this is that about six this morning when I got up and thinking dog in our room all night, not gone to the bathroom, not a good scenario. Lily, let's go outside. Not going to happen. Lily, Karen's sleeping right here, right? Lily, let's go outside, right? I grab her by the collar. Not, it's like... Um, and, and finally, I had to physically lift her up and drag her down the stairs. And it wasn't until about three feet from the door that she finally started powering herself. Doesn't it make sense that that's true with the shepherd and the sheep? The sheep doesn't necessarily want to be found, right? I have found a nice little patch of grass out here, and I want to stay here. Um, that shepherd has amazing joy at discovering that which was lost. But that shepherd also has to carry that sheep back, right? And we're not, I always pictured, I think from a statue, a little tiny little lamb, right? They didn't say lamb in there, right? We could be talking about a 100, 120 pound sheep. He's got to carry it back. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because he's powered now, not by fear like he was a few moments before, but he's powered by joy. By joy. That which was lost has been found. And not only the joy of finding the sheep, but now also the joy of of the community, when he brings that sheep back. Did you see the story? He brings the sheep back and, and he calls all his friends. It could very well be people who have investment in that sheep, right? And, and says, come rejoice with me for that which is lost has been found. And Jesus puts the punctuation on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And we learn for the first time, what does it mean to be found? Over one sinner who repents then 99 who don't need, I'm going to put a little Dave quotation marks on that, who don't need repentance. Why do I put quotation marks on it? Because all of us, Romans 3.23, right? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need to be found. If you miss this, beloved, you're going to miss the whole purpose of Jesus' story to these Pharisees whom he loved. All of us need to be found. But when we are, it brings amazing joy in heaven. That weren't enough, he tells us another story of a woman who lost one coin. All kinds of speculations about what's going on. But now, instead of one out of a hundred that's lost, now it's one out of ten, right? 
You see, you're doing the math. Now we're talking about 10% of her total wealth, right? If we take the story straight up, it's gone. I think there was probably a lot more going on, but all I do know is that she searched for it diligently. Now she's in a, in a much more confined space in her house, and she searched for it diligently. And when she found it, right, when she found it, she called all her friends and said, come rejoice with me. For that which was lost has been found. Unless we missed it, Jesus puts the punctuation mark on it again. He says there's more joy in the angels. They're all rejoiced, right? Over one sinner who repents. Over one sinner who repents. One lost who is found. Well, we visit um, on a regular basis a church in southern, excuse me, South Carolina. And the mission statement of the church, I love. I stole it for the title of our message today, and that is cause God joy. Cause God joy, right? And, and the implication is that you can be found, and when you are found, God will receive joy. So mind-boggling to me that I could do anything that would cause God joy. Uh, but, but I'm going to believe his word is true. And, and I'm going to believe that something I do can get myriad angels rejoicing, can get, can get God himself joy. Oh, let's, let's figure this out together. Can we do that? A couple of thoughts for you as we try and, and say, what does this mean for me today? And, and the first one is this. To experience joy, according to this story, to experience joy is a choice. Is a choice. In other words, um, we can choose, and you have, you have experienced this, the same two people experience exactly the same circumstances. One finds joy and the other one's absolutely destroyed by it. What gives? Well, how does that work? Well, well uh, one of them chooses to look at the same circumstances with a different perspective, Right? I recognize that, that most of us have had the joy sucked out of us. And the, the story that reminds me of this is when our son Matthew uh, first learned to read. I remember going up to his bedroom. I've shared this with you before, but I went up to his bedroom and, and, and we read a story. And, and he said, he said, I live to read. Matthew said, I live. He's all like five, right? I live to read. I'm thinking, oh, man, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And then a couple years later, Matthew hated reading. What happened? What happened, right? Um, I think what happened is he ran into some people that sucked the joy of reading out of him. And I'm so mindful that that happens for us. That, that we are created, I believe this, we're created in the image of God, therefore if God rejoices, we're created to rejoice as well, right? But something sucks the joy out of us along life's path. And, 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 and we find ourselves just trying to survive instead of genuinely experiencing joy. Well, here's, here's the good news. It, 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 it's possible to learn to rejoice again. You can learn to rejoice again. I'm thinking of a story of a, a little four-year-old girl when, when, and we all have these stories from our own families, but, but her little baby brother was born and she peeks over the edge of the crib and speaks to her little baby brother. 
And she says to him, tell me what God is like. I'm starting to forget. Right? I'm starting to forget. I think that God has wired us with, with an understanding of who he is. God has wired us with ability to rejoice. And, and even if life or circumstances or people or our own choices suck that joy out of us, we can choose to learn to rejoice again. Um, it took us a while to unlearn it, but we can learn to rejoice again. Remember John Ortberg, he forgot how to rejoice and his daughter Mallory taught him again through Dida Day. It's not in your notes, but I want to suggest to you that joy is at the very heart of who God is. Joy is at the heart of God. And the joy that we see in Maori, the joy that we see in our children, the joy we see in the happiest child is but a fraction of the joy that resides in the heart of God. A poet, one of my favorite ones, G.K. Chesterton put it this way. Uh, it's going to be a little long, but try and follow me if you would. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. And you're going to relate to this. They always say, guess what? Do it again, right? Do it again. And the grown-up person does it again and again and again until he or she is nearly dead. You see, Chesterton writes, grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. Grown-ups are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But maybe, Chesterton says, God is strong enough. It's possible that God says, every morning, do it again to the sun. Again, I'm quoting Chesterton here. Every evening, do it again to the moon. He writes, it may not be an automatic necessity that he make every daisy alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. Are you following me? It may be that he has an eternal appetite for infancy, for newness. But we have sinned and we have grown old. Watch this from Chesterton. And our father is younger than we are. Our father is younger than we are. Have you lost have you lost that sense of joy? Great news from Luke 15. You can have it again. You can experience joy again. Joy is not only at the heart of God. This also isn't in your notes, but write it in. But joy is at the heart of God's plan for his children. Joy is at the heart of God's plan for us. So to experience joy is a choice. I offer you that choice today. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, right? He has made a way for you to endure even the most joyless of circumstances. To experience joy is a choice. But secondly, to cause joy then is also a choice. Joy is contagious. Right? Did you see what happened in both those stories? They called their friends, right? And said, 
Come, choose to joy with me. The word you saw in the Bible was rejoice. Come, rejoice with me. For that which was lost has been found. And you've got to believe that they had an incredible party. I always chuckle because I'm guessing that the parties cost more than the value of the thing that was found. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. What mattered was that God had granted them joy. Like the parents of, of the 12 um, children that were found, joy was experienced again. Both both stories, both of them called together their friends to rejoice. So not only can you experience joy again, you can also cause joy. And here's the rock your world truth. I've already alluded to it to you today. Not only can you experience joy, but you can cause joy and you can choose. I'm putting the two together now. Joy is a choice. You can choose to cause God joy. You see, what's happening in this parable is that Jesus is turning our world upside down. And if it, I know we're early in it. Um, don't feel like you've missed something if it hasn't rocked your world yet, but it will. If you will find yourself in the story, it will rock your world, right? You can choose to cause God joy because what Jesus does here is redefines lostness. Now, let me borrow from next week a little bit here. And this is Dave. This is not, this is my understanding of it. He tells us three stories of lostness, right? What's the first one? A lost sheep, right? Now, now, now did the sheep get up that morning and say, I think I'm going to get lost, right? Um, no, probably just through ignorance. Oh, that looks a little greener over there. I've done this many times. Uh, it looks a little greener over there. I'm going to go over there. Oh, ooh, I'm going to go over there. I'm, oh, oh, I have no idea where I am. Right? Some are lost through just simple ignorance. But that's not the same in the second story. Did you notice that? A coin can't be ignorant, right? A coin was lost because of someone's carelessness. I'm looking right now for, for um, my grandfather's knife. Uh, my dad, about a year ago, maybe two years ago, gave it to me, and I got a new case for it. It was a case, some of you know what that means, a case knife, a bone handle, and, and, um, and it was my grandfather's. He died three, four years before I was born. That's precious to me. I have no idea where it is. No idea where it is. And, and especially with the connection to my grandfather, I really would like to find that, right? I've got, I've got, Karen can attest, I've got tons of knives. I don't need another knife. What I need is that knife, right? Um, it's precious to me. Um, but, but it's lost not because of the knife. It's lost because of my carelessness. And I want to take just a moment when we're praying for forgiveness together. You have heard me say so many times, God, forgive me for the things that I have done, right? And we understand that, most of us. You see me pray all the time, God, forgive us, forgive me for the things that I have not done, right? But if you've been with us very long, you, you know that I pray for a third thing. Is it coming to your mind? God, forgive us for the things that have been done to us. Right? Sometimes 
We don't have joy because of someone else's brokenness. Sometimes we are lost and feel lost because of someone else's carelessness. And I'm saying that intentionally that way because it's not that they wanted to be mean. They just didn't care enough, right? And, and you suffered the consequences of that. Some are lost out of ignorance in the sheep. Some are lost out of carelessness, as in the woman, as we'll see next week. Some are lost because of willingness, right? Excuse me, willfulness. In other words, we choose. We'll see that next week. We choose to be lost. But here's the reality. Jesus is redefining lost, not as based on the circumstances which caused it, but based on what is our response to it. Jesus says to be lost is to be an unrepentant sinner. Again, if you didn't write down earlier, Romans 3.23 says all of us have fallen short of the God. We're all sinners. That's not the issue. Everyone in this room is broken. Everyone in this room is a sinner. I hope that's not a revelation to you, but I'd love to talk with you if you're stumbling over that. But, but borrow for a second, if that was true, the issue isn't about being a sinner. The issue is about whether we're repentant. Are we an unrepentant sinner? And Jesus speaking to religious people who feel like the 99, who don't feel like they're lost. Jesus says, you've got to understand this. I'm redefining lostness. We're all lost. We all need a Savior. And that's the amazing good news of all these stories, but even these first two stories. In both stories, there is a seeker of the lost. Someone is looking for the lost. And that is both amazing news to us if we find ourselves feeling lost, but it's also a challenge to us if we don't find ourselves feeling lost, right? And the challenge is that who would God use us to help find? There is a seeker of the lost. I'm not going to give away the farm here, but next week we'll explore this. It may surprise you. I think it's going to surprise most of us who that should be, who the seeker of the lost should be according to Scripture. Um, I know I did not understand this until about six or seven years ago. But it also may surprise you who it is. Who it is that's seeking you. So I want to invite you. The issue is not lostness. For we all are lost. Now the issue is, are you willing to be found? And are you willing to risk... Beth, come on up if you would, Christian. Are you willing to risk entrusting yourself to someone outside yourself who can save you? Pray with me, would you? Oh, God, thank you so much for your word that it never returns to you void. God... I ask you not to let me mess this up. And I just pray even now that the gentle wind of your Holy Spirit would blow through all these words, my words, the written word, God. If you would just gently blow away all the distractions 
and allow what is true to land in our hearts, God. And today, if we find ourselves in that place where we're feeling far from you, God, that we could first hear that good news, that there's someone seeking us. Someone is coming after us, like the boys in the cave. That hope has to guard our hearts right now, God, that someone is looking for us. And then, God, I pray that if you would allow that, we could find you in that someone whether you use a person or whether you directly and divinely intervene in our lives. God, pour out your grace on us. Grant us the ability to turn from our identities, from our lostness, from our brokenness and sin, and just to turn toward you.